0: Yet to come this hour on That Kevin Show, the attorney for Donald J. Trump. No, not that attorney. The one for election integrity, Christina Bob. Also, she is a doctor but can't fill a prescription. Monica Crowley and more music from Torrin Wells. Now the man who tries to make change for taxi drivers with Bitcoin, That Kevin. All right, uh, very glad to have you with us in our number episode number two of that kevin show and we are uh, grateful to have uh, a great lineup with you tonight and in the next couple of segments uh monica crowley the great monica crowley historian uh, but also a former assistant secretary of the treasury for the former president donald j trump will be back with us uh, to talk about uh, a little bit about her life and, and what she's been up to you know in, in the world of talk radio and in talk media in general, I I try to add as many of the female voices to the mix as I possibly can, just because I think when you're dealing with talk radio and it's mostly men talking to men, you miss out on probably the, the wiser part and at least half of the conversation. So I learned a long time ago, let's get the entire conversation going, and that's why I'm uh, eager to welcome my next guest, who is a brand-new author writing all about the very thing she's watchdogging for the former president, who is now – declared his candidacy to uh, run for president again. Uh, we are talking about the uh, the person, Donald J. Trump, and his attorney, Christina Bob. Please welcome her to the broadcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: Stealing? Uh, well, I want to make sure I get the title of the book right. And and it's just brand new out. So I I don't, I really don't want to mess it up. Stealing your vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Christina, I lost my uh, Twitter account because I documented the things that were going on in 2020, the same day as your boss did. Uh, They, they, he had, he had retweeted me a handful of times within the previous couple of weeks. That probably didn't help my case in the eyes of the then Twitter gods, but I feel like a lot of us that talked about election integrity in those immediate days following the 2020 elections have been justified in many ways and and kind of vindicated. Your book probably deals with this, um, but what did we get right and what did we get wrong?
1: Yeah, well, I think what we got right is that there were problems. There were a lot of problems. And I think, you know, I spent months on the ground in Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all over the place between... The 2020 election and now talking to the mess, the difference between Wisconsin and Pennsylvania as far as their investigation is the state actually did the investigation. You had the state legislature fund that investigation that Michael Gableman and Janelle Branch and really had a heavy hand in. In Pennsylvania, the state itself didn't actually do anything, but there were a number of grassroots efforts that went out and did. And that's what I just closed in the book. A lot of information about what happened in Pennsylvania. Now the trick is getting the state to act on it, to, to your point.
0: Well, and I think that this is still a a heavy lift, even for 2024, because as we have been watching... With our bare naked eyes, Arizona is no better today than it was in 2020. And in fact, the continued revelations, and I'm kind of thankful that Carrie Lake is willing to spend the money and do the stuff that she's doing because she's the only one that is, you know, still talking about it and being persistent to bring it to people's attention. But that is a really problematic uh, process that they have there. And it seems to me that they don't really much care about wanting to get it fixed.
1: Well, I think the people in power don't want to get it fixed. You're right. And they they like having this monopoly on the elections and being able to select whoever they want to be the governor of the state. I mean, does anybody really believe that Katie Hobbs was actually more popular than Carrie Lake? I mean, not a chance. It's a repeat of 2020. And I think Arizona proves the point that there was a problem in 2020 and we need to correct it. And I think Carrie, Carrie Lake's race and her lawsuits are showing people that. I I think we will correct it. And the example that I use is the advantage that they have is they have the high ground, right? The radical left or the swamp, whatever you want to call them, have taken these positions of power, whether it's the governor, the secretary of state, some of the state legislatures, whatever. And they kind of have the high ground as far as the power goes. Our advantage that we have is there's more of us than them. There's more people who want clean and fair elections than those who want to manipulate and control it. And so the way we use our advantage to our advantage is to get involved. I mean, everybody has to put their weight behind this topic to correct it, because if we don't, to your point, I mean, we're in trouble. Things things did not improve enough between 2020 and 2022 to make the correction. There is plenty of places to make corrections and to improve this, but to do it, we have to have everybody involved and everybody focusing on this.
0: People ask me on a regular basis, Kev, where do we start? I always say it's the voter rolls. If your voter rolls have not been even looked at in recent years, um, you've probably got dead people there. And the danger, and I thought that Dinesh D'Souza's film really pointed this out quite well, it wasn't that they had to gin up a lot of phony ballots for people that weren't on voter rolls. It's they just sent ballots to every name that was on ver- that were on very bad voter rolls and then they just had to go out and harvest and collect and and get them voted the way they wanted to um yeah. without having, you know, bucket loads of fake uh, ballots out there just just send out the ones that uh, people that aren't really around anymore. And I know that in in the state of New Jersey, a friend of mine personally Got a ballot sent to his house that was for his deceased father-in-law. I saw, I saw it with my own eyes. So I mean, I know this stuff was happening. We're speaking with Christina Bob, who is attorney for the Donald J. Trump for President 2024 campaign. And um, Christina, I know that you're also following the document scandal, and we just oh, have yeah. a few minutes left, but. There's a ton of difference between the uh, the overreaction with the Mar-a-Lago raid and the the documents carefully placed on the floor and the photograph taken and and all of the all of the drama that went with that when in fact they were behind a locked door that the Secret Service and the yeah. archives had said, please put this kind of lock on there and so forth. Um, versus uh, yeah, I think they're in the file box next to the uh, the jack in the garage over there that right. uh, the Biden crew is, is dealing with. What's, yeah. what's the difference in, in your assessment as an attorney? What will the outcome be?
1: Yeah, it's night and day. I mean, President Trump had the legal authority to possess everything he possessed. He was not in possession of anything illegal. As the president, he's covered by the Presidential Records Act. And he alone, as the president, determines what's appropriate for him to keep and what's not. So he legally had the right to everything. Joe Biden, on the other hand, his documents come from his time as vice president and all the way back to his time as a senator. He did not have the legal right to keep those documents. So he actually does have criminal liability in the sense that he wasn't entitled to those documents in the first place. Then of course, as you pointed out in Mar-a-Lago, they went from the White House to Mar-a-Lago. They were behind locked doors on a very secure premises with private security guarded by the secret service. And, you know, one or two people that actually had access to that area. So it was very secure, unlike Joe Biden, where they're strewn all over the place. And I think we're at up to five different locations now. And the way that the FBI and the Department of Justice is handling this is, is night and day. I mean, President Trump, he himself extended an opportunity. We'll show you whatever you want. We'll be very cooperative. You know, you're entitled to see anything. And not only did they not follow up and ask to do that, their next step was to raid Mar-a-Lago. Whereas Joe Biden hasn't necessarily extended any courtesy other than the FBI saying, okay, you guys look for a long time. We're going to give you several months to do this. And then we're going to come in and help you because you keep messing it up. After NARA, the National Archives, has been telling us for months that there are no classified documents outstanding from the Obama administration. So was NARA lying to us? Why should we believe them what they're saying about Donald Trump now? I mean, the government has been caught in lie after lie after lie and hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. So I think we're going to see a tap dance. You know, we're going to see them try to protect. Oh, there's no
0: doubt. That's the whole reason the special counsel exists. It's not because they're going to get to the bottom of anything. It's so that they can say, we can't comment on it because it's under investigation. And we don't want to, we don't want to mess with the integrity of the investigation. Um, And, you know, to the, to your original point, Um, They acted like Donald Trump and the discussion between he and the archives was something new. To my knowledge, every president that's been president since I've been alive have had disagreements with the archives about what they get to keep and what they didn't get to keep, and they always worked it out, which – former President Trump was in the process of doing. It certainly appeared when they did the raid. Hey, um, Christina, congratulations on the book. And friends, uh, she, she breaks it all down for you and makes sense of what you need to know going into 2024. Go out and get it, Stealing Your Vote uh, and the uh, impact, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. Christina, come back and see us again sometime.
1: You got it, thank you so much.
0: Kevin McCullough coming right back. The great Monica Crowley, Dr. Monica Crowley, joins me next. Welcome back. That Kevin Show, because we couldn't come up with a clever title. We just went with That Kevin Show. We are glad to have you with us and so glad to be with you here in hour number two on our second episode. And yet to come still tonight, back in the music spotlight, our music artist for the week, Torrin Wells, uh, with his first new hit off the album that he's just put out. He's We heard from his most current one in the last hour. Um, but I, I am very excited to get to my next guest. Uh, she is someone that uh, I first began to see and recognize and know during the Clinton administration when she was part of a a blonde band of three that were all over the airwaves uh, talking about impeachment and other things. But it is a great joy to welcome someone who I consider a friend, not just a colleague in the industry, Dr. Monica Crowley.
2: It's so great to be with you on week two of that Kevin show. <laughs> so happy for you, so proud of you, and just so honored to be here. And I have to say, before we get started, you know, I haven't heard the Clinton era evoked in a really long time and I have to say you know during that whole impeachment saga with Monica Lewinsky there were times when I was on Fox News and I was working there and I was on morning noon and night and I was friends with all of the anchors but there was a point in time where we were all so tired of covering it like physically and mentally tired that I used to get introduced as Monica Lewinsky how do you didn't introduce me oh
0: that's the worst story I have heard told (laughs) on my show to date um so sorry Dr Crowley that you were treated in such a fashion. Um well I'm so thrilled to have you with us tonight and uh, as we are just still in the infancy stage of the new show thanks for uh coming on board. I want to talk to you about things you're normally pulled in to talk about, you know, the Biden documents and the tax policy and all the rest of that stuff. And we do a lot of that on my other show on the radio show. But I want to talk to you tonight about you, um, because as as I am looking for interesting guests to bring on the show. Uh, I'm looking for those that have uh, layered a lot of different seasonings and experience into their path. And you've certainly done that. I mean, just because you look 25 doesn't mean that that's all the experience that you have. So um, talk. go back to your childhood, before you had your PhD, before you were a pundit, before you were part of presidential administrations or presidential historian. Talk to me about the little girl who Monica Crowley was. And when did you know that It was going to be something about politics or public policy or something kind of crazy out there that you wanted to do. Did you grow up in a political house? Were your parents political?
2: Well, thank you for that question, Kevin. And and it's such a refreshing question because you're right. Usually we deal with heavy politics and policy questions. So that's a really nice question to start with. You know, I was born on an army base. I was born at Fort Huachuca, Arizona. My father was army intelligence during the Vietnam War era and I was born there. I only, I I don't remember it because I was only there for one year and then my parents moved back to the East Coast. So I am an army brat and I think that is deep in my genetic code. Um, the fact that, that I was born on an army base and my father gave so much of his life to, to the U S military. He was not career, but he did spend many years in the U S army. So I think that that sort of made an initial imprint on me. And then I grew up in New Jersey. I have one sister and you and my, admit it. And I, I do admit it. I love the garden state. Do not diss the garden state. I will not countenance that Kevin when people
0: When people um, go down the shore though, you know what they're talking about. A lot of other people don't.
2: Oh, excuse me. Every single summer down the shore, Long Beach Island, baby. Okay. Yeah. LBI girl all the way. We're,
0: the McCulloughs are a little more inclined toward Cape May, but we like LBI too. So all just, beautiful. just, yeah. All beautiful,
2: right? Your Garden State gets a bad rap, but it's beautiful. But I grew up in New Jersey, about an hour due west of New York City. And, you know, growing up, my parents were always very attuned to the news and current events and what was happening in the world. So growing up, you know, even as a little kid, I do remember around the dining room table, this is something that families really don't do that much anymore, is have mm-hmm. dinner around the dining room table or the kitchen table and discuss what was going on out outside of the family, outside of the community, in the country, in the world. So I remember a lot of those conversations and at first just sort of listening and absorbing while I was eating my mac and cheese. Um, And then as we were growing up, contributing to that conversation, both of my parents um, were conservatives, So I came up, you know, sort of with a Republican uh, background. And then as I write in one of my books about my experiences with President Nixon, Kevin, I write that my very first political memory, um, we were down Long Beach Island. It was August of 1974. I was a very, very little girl. And I remember President Nixon's face filling the television screen. And he was announcing that he was resigning and i wrote in one of my books about how at that very young age i had no idea or concept of what he was saying but i knew it was important because both of my parents were very upset they were both crying and i remember sort of them in the background talking about what a tragedy it was and what a good and brilliant man he was and then years later i ended up working with him during the last years of his life so isn't it really interesting kevin how things come full circle
0: it really is. Um, Nixon is the first president of my lifetime, and I don't have much of a memory, other than what I was taught and learned, you know, and learned through education, various uh, seasons of life later. Um, but I want to come back to your presidential interactions uh, in the next segment. I do want to. I do want to ask you this though. Um, you have an older sister, and both of you ended up in public policy. She she was a teacher at Rutgers, but you went right into the media and right for the, the jugular, so to speak, uh, in many respects. Um, and you've done that on some level kind of in exchange of having a family or or children or some of the other things that a lot of girls probably that were coming up at the same time decided to. And I'm curious if you are grateful for the life that you had or would if you could do anything different would there be anything different that you would have done
2: my sister is actually a couple of years younger than oh. i i am the the older of the two don't tell her i said um. that then please <laughs> Now, we both went on and got Ivy League PhDs. So I think my mother ultimately became a single mother. And when my parents divorced, I think she did a pretty good job of raising us. But sure. I do think that experience of having parents divorce um, really fed into both of our desire to really super achieve. Hmm. And so we both have Ivy League PhDs. And as my mother jokes, my girls are very brilliant, but neither one of them can write me a prescription. We're different kinds of doctors, right? That's it. Um, Look, I I made choices over the course of my life and career that I was comfortable with at the time. Um, I love the fact that I've now worked for two American presidents. Not many people can say that, both President Nixon and President Trump. And Kevin, I like to joke... Man, do I know how to pick them or what? (laughs) Only (laughs) only the most controversial presidents for me. No William Howard Tafts. That's Um, it. The only thing I think about in retrospect is I wish I had been a little bit more strategic about my career. But I also believe as a believer in God, uh, Kevin, that God puts you exactly where you need to be at exactly the right time. So in retrospect, I I really have no regrets.
0: Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. We're speaking with Monica Crowley. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Ready or not, you'll be right back. That Kevin
3: Show with Kevin McCullough. Here he is from New York, that Kevin, Kevin McCullough.
0: All right, Kevin McCullough, and we're back, uh, that Kevin show. Thank you for finding us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, and uh, telling your friends because uh, we're, we're, we're enlivening Saturday nights in a way that's not being done and grateful to have the opportunity. Um, my very special guest is Dr. Monica Crowley, and she has written, a, I would say, the definitive uh, story of the final years of the president, uh, President Richard Nixon's life uh, in her book, Nixon and Winter. And she's also had some interactions with a couple of other presidents, and I want to get to those, Monica. But I, I think I need to hold you a little bit longer because I, 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 we didn't get as far through my initial set of questions as I had, and I want to know more about some of that aspect of your life when you went from the college academic arena. Let me let me put it that way. With the PhD, with the with the eternal studies behind you, um, you really. ...saturated yourself into the media construct of the day. And and online digital was not really where it was at at the time. It was talk radio, and it was a brand new thing called cable news. Um, CNN had been doing it for a little while, but then MSNBC and Fox News came along... And you really ping-ponged on a lot of levels into the green rooms and production meetings of a lot of different places that some people that just worked at Fox or just worked at CNN never really had the chance to uh, to experience. And I'm curious, from that kind of widespread experience in punditry, what did you learn, see, take away from All the chatter that was out there about how stilted these channels were and focused on what they were doing versus your actual experience in the arena.
2: Yeah, you know, I always knew, Kevin, that the mainstream press, or as I call them now, the propaganda press in this country, leaned left and was incredibly biased against Republicans and conservatives. In fact, one day in the early to mid-90s, when I was working with President Nixon, he called me into his office, and when I walked in, he was sitting in his usual corner with his feet up on an ottoman, and he he had the A section of the New York Times, and he was balling it up in fury. He was at what he was reading. And then he noticed me over the top of his glasses and sort of playfully threw it at me. And he said, Monica, it is a miracle that any of us get elected to anything at all, given Mm -hmm. the coverage that we face. Now, again, that was before really the advent of cable news. It was before the advent of, of Fox News and certainly before social media, et cetera. And I remember asking him why it was that the media was so biased to the left. And his response was interesting, Kevin. He said, Look, young people, when they're making a career decision, he said, Young people, young conservatives go into business to make money. Young liberals go into the media to change the country and change the world. Mm. And I think by and large, that still really explains a lot of what we're facing. In my experience, yeah, I saw it. And over the years, it got increasingly worse to the point now where we have a real hyper-partisanship. And what's different in the Trump era which remains to this day is the level of activism and intensity on the part of the propaganda press to not just advocate for a point of view, but also to work with the regime and big tech and so many other massive entities on the part of the establishment or the regime or the deep state or however you wanna characterize it. They were never that way before. They had a left-wing bias, but they were never in bed with these massive entities And then weaponized against the American people, you know, the people that they're supposed to be covering fairly and fighting for that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Well, there was a there was a concept that um, I've heard multiple people talk about from the 70s and into the 80s and even to some degree in the 90s, which is where I kind of came of age in media, but that like Democrats and Republicans could fight on the House floor all day long, get really intense, argue red-faced, spittle-flying, everything else, um, and then once the argument was done and they had taken the votes and whatever was passed was passed, they could – Pat each other on the back and go have a steak dinner uh, up the street and and actually have a degree of camaraderie or friendship with people that may hold to some degree some differences of opinion about what size government should be or or so forth. But it wasn't to the degree where now it's all tribal and it's you love America or you hate America and there's like no – gray area in between and i'm just wondering in those days when you were working with ron reagan who was not necessarily a chip off the old block when you were working with uh the different folks at at msnbc um and and even to some degree when you came back and forth to fox news because you had a few different iterations there did you did, did you notice something similar in that era even amongst punditry that there was a reasonableness to the debate that no longer seems to exist
2: yes yes absolutely
0: she's dr monica crowley i'm kevin mccullough we're coming right back from new york stay here you'll we'll be right back
3: that kevin show with kevin mccullough Now, back to That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough.
0: All right, uh, back with Monica Crowley here on That Kevin Show. And uh, Monica, you've had significant interactions with um, two presidential administrations, and a third president really impacted your career in a way that was uh, really kind of um, noticeable. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about Nixon. Uh, you've, you've got to get her book, by the way, Nixon in Winter. Uh, it set her on the map as uh, as an author. And all you have to do to understand the impact of that book is read the reviews of the book that of of people that have read it and what they learned from uh, Nixon's life because of Dr. Crowley's work. But I want to I want to go to the guy in the middle because it was Ann Coulter and Laura Ingram and Monica Crowley. They were the they were the the blonde band of three that were everywhere in the uh, 90s, talking about Monica Lewinsky talking about impeachment, talking about um, uh, the definition of is, is, and all the rest of that. And I'm curious as you reflect now on that part of your life, what what do you take away from it?
2: You know, it was like a stunning turn of events, right? <laughs> the, now this stuff is kind of like, Happens every day, right? You see Barack Obama, you know, and his administration, you see Joe Biden committing crimes all over the place. It, it's sort of taken for granted now. But at the time in the early uh, to mid 1990s, man, nobody in late 1990s, nobody had thought of anything like this, right? Since Watergate and, and Nixon. And yet now we had a sex scandal on top of obstruction of justice and supporting perjury and all these really serious charges. And you'll recall, Kevin, that Fox News was just beginning at the time. So there were these confluence of events where Roger Ailes said, this is our moment, right? They're gonna impeach the president. He's embroiled in the sex scandal. It is an intern. He's asked her to lie to cover up for him and his incredible indiscretions. So he said, let's go full tilt. And I happen to be, I was a contributor at Fox since day one, and they wanted to use particularly young women to do commentary on this from a young woman's perspective about being taken advantage of by a boss. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate power differential. Bill Clinton and the White House intern, right? The president of the United States. leaders of free world. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they really appreciated having me and other uh, young women there to opine on this situation from our point of view, but also from the national point of view as well. It was a turning point for cable news, it was a turning point for Fox News, turning point obviously for Bill Clinton and all of the other players. But also I think it set the country on a more negative trajectory Mm. um, because when When Bill Clinton, the president of the United States, lied under oath in his deposition, I think it set the stage for future presidents to do even worse. And we're seeing the fallout to this very day with with Joe Biden.
0: We've talked about Nixon. We've touched on Clinton. Let's go to your most recent presidential interactions. You had the great honor of serving in the Treasury Department for President Trump. Uh, There were, it it was an incredible four years, some would argue the most successful four years of any one-term president in the history of the country in terms of what was accomplished. It was tainted a little bit at the end with all of the, uh, the negativity and some of the, uh, the, I would just say very biased and un- untruthful, uh, news coverage of how it all came to an end. Um, as you look back at that time, what do you think the country learned from the Trump presidency and, and how does that set us up with 2024 just around the corner?
2: I think Donald Trump so smashed the paradigm of what not just Republican voters, but Democratic voters, independent voters, expect and want in a candidate. They don't want an establishment tool or figure. They they want, especially on our side, on the conservative side, they want a disruptor because they realize, again, we're in a war for the future of America and only one side's been fighting it. What Donald Trump did is well, he did many things, but he established the America First movement, which will survive Donald Trump. I mean, ultimately, we're all going to pass from the scene, including him, not so soon, but including him. But he has radical, radically changed the orientation of the Republican Party to an America First party, and that's where the base is as well. So, if you're not putting America first, you're done, right? The base does not want any kind of establishment figures, particularly as a presidential candidate. But he also did another very important thing and continues to do that, which is expose the depth of corruption in this country, the extent of the rot from the weaponization of our own government against us, which is the most serious threat that we face, to the corruption in the press, to the actual collusion of the regime with the press, with big tech and big pharma, etc., He ripped the lid off of all of that. So for all of these deep state players and the permanent bureaucracy and the propaganda press, there is no more hiding. They still do all try to protect the, each other and themselves, but the lid has already been ripped off and there's a lot more exposure and sunlight on them, making it more difficult not impossible, but more difficult for them to pursue their dark agenda. So I think this sets it up for 2024. I think their side has incredible um, creative minds, dark creative minds, but they've got a lot of imagination on how to rig elections. They've been doing it since 1960 when Nixon ran against JFK. So they have been they elevating this to an art and a science over decades. And while our side is busy trying to fix the last two elections, mm-hmm. we're always fighting the last war. Right. We have to keep in mind that the other side is already so far beyond that. Early voting, mass mail and voting, ballot harvesting, all the stuff we, we continue to talk about and necessarily so. But the other side now is so far past that. That we need to be better prepared, have imaginations of our own about how to preempt or anticipate what they're going to do. Because while we're out here wondering if it's going to be Trump or DeSantis or whomever, they're already laying the groundwork for setting up another rigged election so that we don't get another Republican president. Uh, That's, I, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But it's the truth, and it does us no good to live in wishful
0: thinking. No, that's well said. And I think for a long time, the the center-right has just had a problem with uh, kind of what we had the problem with on 9-11. We didn't imagine our enemies would do what they did to, to hurt us to the degree that they could. And I don't think the right has pictured that uh, about the left and hasn't for a very, very long time. Dr. Monica Crowley, you're a gem. You're a national treasure. Thank you for being with us tonight
2: such a pleasure thank you for the very kind words kevin and best of luck with the show
0: you got it kevin mccullough coming right back ready or not he will be right back that kevin bring it up with a no drink minimum. It's that Cabin Show. Ladies and gentlemen, once more from the new music spotlight, here is the incredibly talented Torrin Wells.
3: I've been chasing countervix and trying to find a fix, but all that I was missing was you. My hope was running. Show me there was nothing to prove. Someone said it's unexplainable. But no, yeah, I know what you can do. Girl, you're changing my attitude. Your love is a whole new more Something I can put my faith in. away This in my life, yeah. It was you all along. I know I belong. I'm right where I'm now. Watch for faces, real love, and it took time. been chilling down the floor, to having good times. Running your race, can't get all checked. Don't got a front when you got my back. Let's go.
0: What a big night. Thank you so much for being here. I want to thank Rick Leventhal and Torrin Wells and Dr. Monica Crowley and Christina Bob and you, friend, the Dream and Color Orchestra. If you if you want any of the uh, soundtrack to the show, get over to Apple Music or Spotify and search New Music Spotlight. We've got playlists for the year. I'm Kevin McCullough. I can't wait to be back with you again next week here for That Kevin Show.